What's up, everybody? What's up? What's up? It's good to see y'all. Mm-hmm. I do want to make sure, because I think we may have missed um, for a couple weeks our newest supporters <gasps> on Patreon. Uh-oh. So got to catch up. Got to make sure we shout y'all out. We've got Shirley. We've got Rochelle. And we've got Courtney. So I want to just make sure y'all got shout outs. Thank you. Also, we need to really get back into sending stuff out. Today, we are doing some great stories. Yay. And. And if you enjoy this, you can stay around. This is this episode here is going to be public, but the next one is going to be private. intimate, private. And he wanted to say pu- pu- pubic before. I thought he was going to say that, right? So if you yeah, want to, well. so if you want to stay around for that, if you like us or whatever, we're going to be doing that right after this one. And that case, we're going to be covering a true life narcissist. No, no, I'm not talking about myself. I was going to say, <laughs> I didn't know you had murdered someone, but okay. It's a very disturbing case and with video. So I don't want to do it on public because I don't want to get banned. But we're going to do that next. So if you want to stay on. Also, if you guys want to, if we have time, we'll we'll do a uh, conspiracy. <laughs> yes. Pumped. <laughs> it's a giant conspiracy. As in they're uh, giants. I see what you did I there. Know, I think I know what it is. Uh, I, like I know it. you do because you're always on TikTok. <laughs> You know what it is, right? I think so. So you can stay around. Go to patreon.com slash talk murder. Become our talk primo and you will support us and we'll send you some stuff. Our current promotions we got going on. We got a, a Ed Gein comic book. Very rare. I still got a mm-hmm. few of those. And we got some rare crime photos. Yep. From uh, the newspaper archives back in the 70s and 60s and even before that. There's literally one that no one's claimed yet of Frank Sinatra's son. Oh. Yeah. So we have those. We'll put some of those in there for you and or we'll put one of those with the comic book and a handwritten note so patreon.com slash talk and these are original photos not reproductions correct yeah they They're they had the, the police literally the, the police stuff on the back and I got them through legitimate means if anyone asks just don't say I, I mean don't don't tell them I gave it to you <laughs> let's just <laughs> you let's don't just know moving way. on I don't know you This one's for Amanda. Amanda. Thanks for supporting us, Amanda. All right, Amanda. Surprise shots. Surprise shots. We don't know what they are because they're a surprise. All right. Cheers, you guys. Cheers. I keep forgetting. (laughs) It's like we almost forget to actually take the shot. Cheers, clink. I think that's like one of my favorites. Apple teeny. Heavy on the teeny. <sighs> yeah, that was pretty uh, good. Sour apple pucker never fails. Mm-mm. All right, tonight we're doing an older case. Mm. This is a crazy case. This is a, an insane case. Obviously, no one's ever done it before. Obviously. And if you go... <laughs> 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 If you go to talkmer.com, you can see all the photos. Or if you're on here right now, don't go there if you want to. But you can just watch them here on YouTube. All right, tonight we're going to 1977. Like I said, this is a case, you know, someone might have done it before, but I doubt they are going to do it like I'm doing it. But we are going to 1977. We're going to Chicago, Illinois, the summer of 1977. And you guys weren't even born. Neither were you. That's what you think. I lied about my age. Well, by a lot. (laughs) This is awkward. (sighs) Only nine years. Chicago. 
Chicago, Illinois, summer of 1977. We're starting with uh, Remy Chua. What is that last name? Chua. C-H-U-A. Is that Hispanic? Sort of. Mexican? Well, Mexican is Hispanic, but... Is it a, is it Italian? No, it's Filipino. You... It's Filipino. Oh, Again. I don't know. I didn't know if he was like, when he was said close, I didn't know what he really meant by that. So I was like, all right, just throw another... I said close? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, then that makes me racist. <laughs> all right, we're starting with a Remy Chua. She is a respiratory department physician. She works at Edgewater Hospital, a huge hospital in Chicago, Illinois, and this is 1977. She is married to a doctor, Joe Chua. This is him right here. So can you describe this guy? This is, we don't have many photos, but this is the, the husband. What do you think? Uh, can you describe this killer? I mean, I the mean, husband. from far away, he looks like Ken Jong. Yes. Oh my God. I yes. was going to say that too. I, yes. did, I was too. I just didn't want to be like, you know, sounded racist. But yeah, the guy from um, The Hangover. The Hangover. Yes. He's yes. actually a doctor though. Yes. So was this guy. I know, but I'm just saying. That's maybe. crazy. I don't, I also wouldn't know if I would want him as my doctor. Well, maybe not surgery. He probably has he's really probably really good I mean manner. I don't think he's practicing anymore how do you know we don't I, I don't but I'm just going to assume the other guy's a marine colonel the yep. big guy mm-hmm. all right Remy Chua she has been working double shifts she's a respiratory physician so basically if you go in for surgery and let's say you have trouble breathing you need to be put on a ventilator that's what she does so she'll walk the patient in put them on a ventilator you know for 20 minutes every hour or whatever. So that's her job. Her husband, however, is a, an actual doctor and they're both from the fi- Philippines. She's just a te- uh, technician. technician. Okay, sorry. I thought you said physician. That's why I got I confused. did, but I don't really understand words. Okay. I did. Well, technically they're both doctors, but they, they got their doctorates in the Philippines. So they didn't transfer over. Remy Chua has been working late. She has been working doubles. She has been really stressed out. Extremely, extremely extremely stressed out. Same girl. Her husband, Joe, has noticed that she has been very moody lately. And not just like, you know, she's a woman, so she's always moody. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people think that way, which I don't. Of course not. But No, not you. She has been particularly moody lately. She's been acting funny as well. Temperamental is the word that he used. He actually couldn't believe it was his wife. Now, they've been married for quite a while. They got four kids. Some of the things that would happen recently that has him concerned is she would snap at the kids. She would demand things. Go give me this. Go give me that. Now, it's one thing to just say, okay, my wife is stressed out, but Joe knew his wife and this wasn't her. So... He's like it g- actually wasn't her. This was her evil twin. <laughs> something. Yeah, something. He knew something was going on and he did not like it. So she, Remy, had not been sleeping at all. And she can't sleep without the use of sedatives. It got so bad with all this stress or whatever it was that his parents, her in-laws, had to come and stay. They're also Filipino. And just be there at the house for support. Now, she's still working these hours. She can't sleep. She has to sleep with sedatives. Something's wrong, very wrong here. So that evening when she took her sedatives and they were pretty, pretty strong, this was a very heavy dose. It would put down a person for at least eight hours. No questions asked. Three hours later, however, she is sleeping in the room. Now this is 6 p.m. in the afternoon. So she's already asleep, but with the help of sedatives. The husband is on the phone. He's talking to his real estate agent because one more stressor in their life, they're about to move into a new home. He's talking on the phone to the real estate 
estate agent, and all of a sudden he he hears a quote blood curdling scream from where Remy was sleeping. So he run he just throws the phone down. He runs down to the room to check on his wife. The in laws are there. They also run down. Two of his daughters are there. They also run down to the room to check on Mama. Okay. What what is going on? She's supposed to be sleeping, and now a scream that filled the whole house. Was she having horrific, a night terror? I was uh, gonna ask the same thing. Yes. Uh, horrific scream. They bust open the door, all of them, the whole family. They notice a few things about the room. It's very cold in that room. They don't have the, the I mean, this is this is summer. They don't, and yeah, they have the air conditioner on or whatever, but this particular room where she was sleeping was freezing cold. It was damp. It was, and the whole house wasn't like this. It was just where she was sleeping. And what they would say is the air felt electric, literally, and he described it like there was electricity bouncing from wall to wall. They could feel it. The mother, so her in-law, her hair actually stood up as in like static electricity. So literally. Did you actually have static electricity yeah, earlier? Yeah, was dri- this part of the story? No, it's literally driving me nuts because <laughs> my hair is standing up. <laughs> I know, it's fucking it's like- creepy. Like a Twilight Zone episode. It's just like this. I don't know. Her hair started standing up. There's literally electric in the like, air. Like this. Yes. Okay. It's electric. So what do you guys think so no, far? That's the hustle. Correct. The electric side is. What are you guys, what are you guys uh, similar, thinking so far? Similar to you. Uh, it's interesting that none of the other rooms were cold. Now, this is the 70s, so you didn't. I don't think they had central air back then. Um, like, can you control one specific room? But why is it wet? I've been asking myself that for years <laughs> what are people saying on live chat what do you think about this what i'm got what i'm going to tell you tonight i want to say keep an open mind this is a this is a very real case and these are very real people in fact this is a doctor a respected highly respected doctor and his wife now i'm curious if it's a fictional story within a story no jen i just said it was not it, it, yeah but you put too much emphasis on this is a very real story with very very real people. Yeah, because it sounds weird. What the air's electric, her hair standing up, what the heck? I don't know, John. All right. If you want to read this, Nicole, I'll tell you what book we're reading from here in a minute, but as for now, she's gonna read it. The first word is papang. It's a Filipino word for like papa. Papang gasped as he saw what was happening to his wife, but he did not stare long. Something else demanded his immediate attention. Walking towards them with eyes closed and outstretched arms was Remy. She was screaming and babbling in a language that sounded like Spanish. Mi mami, ayuda, ayuda, ayi. Remy's face was red. The veins on the sides of her neck dilated with the force of her screams. Mama, mama, ayi. That means there, just for the... She was saying ayuda, ayuda. That's I think, I think help, mommy help. means mama. No, help, ayuda help, there. Is help. Oh. Help, help, there. No. Yeah, Are you done a reading? A key is here. A key is here. Ayi is there. Jesus Christ. It's been a long time. Yo, Ablo. So what's, what's weird about her speaking Spanish? She's Filipino. So she speaks Tongalog. Tung- tung- <laughs> I always want to say Tagalog, like the Girl Scout tug- cookie. Tug- yeah. Tagalog. I have a new flavor do. of Girl Scout cooked out this year. Uh, it's raspberry. So, Ooh, like chocolate and raspberry. Mm-hmm. Oh. The Chua's they speak Tagalog, the, tra- Tagalog. the, the, the traditional uh, Philippine language. This is Spanish. Okay, That's completely Tagalog. different. Remy doesn't know any Spanish, and what you just read was in English, obviously, but is translated from Spanish. She didn't speak Spanish. All right. So you guys still like kind of curious about what's going on here? I think she's possessed. Agreed. I mean, that was my first thought was that when you said the room was cold, that was my first thought. But we 
all know my thoughts about paranormal. Remy, still sleeping. Her eyes are shut. Still sleeping. Has no idea. She just screamed. None of this stuff. Her body jolts up. She's sitting up in the bed. Now her eyes are open. Then her body jolts back down flat again, like a board, stiff as a board. She can't even move. It's just, you know, completely stiff like a mannequin. The the dad and the husband, they try to, to move her back on the bed because that jolt forward that she had, now she's, her lower body is hanging off the bed. A normal person who wasn't possessed, they would fall. But it's kind of weird that she's just like stiff as a board with her, like her, her muscles are contracted. Her butt down, hanging off the bed. So they're like, okay, let's at least try to move her back up. But they couldn't because she's a thousand pounds. She's so heavy. They can't even, with the two of these men, they can't even move this woman. Okay. Now, as I said, this is a true story. All right. Everything I'm telling you is true. Lauren says, if John says her head spins 360 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> like on the exorcist. Yes. Vomit. Pea soup. Yeah. Hey, Martin. What's hey, Martin. up, Martin? Mom, dad, the two daughters were now standing in the room, quote, like statues. They're standing there. They couldn't move their bodies. They were completely still, but they heard every word of what is about to be said. So they're completely frozen. They could not move except for the husband, Joe. Okay. Every syllable, every meaning of the words that is about to be said, they, it, it had so much weight to every, every word. Now, remember, Joe, the husband, is a qualified doctor. He has been dealing with things sort of like this, i.e. an unconscious person, many of times. So to him, when her eyes are closed again, it's like she's unconscious. So she's back laying on the bed. Her eyes are closed. Her face blushes a little bit. That's a sign of someone being unconscious. And what do you do when someone's unconscious? You shake them really... No, I'm just kidding. You don't do that. Please don't do that. (laughs) You put on a clown mask and shake them. That sounds like Nicole's personal hell. Uh, okay, he knows his wife is unconscious. He's seen this a thousand times with patients. So what you do as a doctor when someone is unconscious is you get close to them and you're there right when they wake up. And what do you say? How do you feel? You try to like bring them back into this world, right? Like, you know, are you okay? How do you feel? You know, you just passed out. How many thing. fingers am I holding up? Why are you wearing a clown mask? <laughs> like, all right. The first thing you say is, how do you feel? And that's what he's been saying all his life to unconscious patients. Now, he said those words. Joe's, now this is from this doctor's own testimony. Okay. His mouth made those words. How do you feel? How do you feel? Just like always. He's bending right over his wife's body. How do you feel? Her eyes starts to come open. Oh my God, this is over. How do you feel? He made those mouth movements of how do you feel? Mm-hmm. However, instead of those words, instead came, quote, who are you? End quote. Huh? Kind of weird, eh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, okay. You guys don't like this. I am just confused. I'm very confused. Oh, really? <laughs> Who are you? He says. He's shocked that he even said that, but he gets a response. I am Teresita Bassa. The voice was strong and vibrant. Chills went up and down Joe's spine. It was not Remy's voice. Of that, Joe was certain. Dr. Chua, I would like to ask for help from you, said the voice. What kind of help do you want from me? Asked Joe as he gestured back to himself with his hand. The voice sounded louder and somewhat disturbed. Up to this time, nothing has been done in regard to the man who killed me. Dang. Oh, 
snap. Pretty crazy, eh? Yes. This is a true story. And in the 70s, this was a controversial case. But as you'll see. No doubt. As you'll see. And I'm not, I, I don't believe in paranormal activities. But when, I you, do. when you see something like this and the things I'm going to tell you, it kind of makes you wonder if some, some of this stuff could be real. So what we're reading tonight is a voice from the grave. This is by Carol Mercado, but it's based on the interviews and the collaboration with Remy and Joe and and everybody regarding the murder of Teresita Bassa, which I'm going to go into her. Hmm. So as of now, this woman, Bassa, has possessed Remy, if that's what we're looking at now. All right. So what what do you guys think? You guys think this is fake? No. I mean, I have a, I, I, I too have a hard time believing in paranormal things, but I'm going to keep an open mind. I just want to know why, what the connection was between Remy and Teresita. Like, did they, is this is her old her house? house? Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Or is there? Yeah, I, pro- I should have should have researched that. But that's all I have on that case. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it very well could be someday. I... <laughs> All right. So keep an open mind with this case. It's it's crazy, but it is what it is. And I'll answer your question in a second, Jim. Let's go a few months earlier. Okay. February 21st, 1977. So to catch up, I started with Remy Chua. She is a respiratory technician. Her husband's a physician. They work at Edgewater Hospital. And Remy gets possessed, if you will, by a dead woman saying that she needs help. Literally asking... Like, all right, you get possessed by a demon. It's all exorcism, head spinning 360. Mm-hmm. It's not like, hey, yo, can you help me do something? It's a soul at rest. Well, I'm not at rest, I mean. I believe that you there's know? a difference between a demonic possession and this kind of possession. Like, you're still being possessed, but it's not a demonic entity what in do, this case. What do I have in me? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely demonic. Demonic. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> No, I get it. Yeah. I mean, I don't really believe in ghosts and stuff. I will tell you this whole, the whole documented case, there was a priest and invo- two priests involved. The doctor did not want to help at all because he is a highly respected phys- physician. And now he's got to say, oh, my wife is possessed by, I mean, he was doing everything not to help. And as you'll see, Teresita Bassa did not like well, that. I was going to say. <laughs> she- this that wasn't is a, not okay with her. This was not a friendly ghost. No, not well, Casper. No, she is a very friendly ghost, but she she has to come back a few times. Let's just say that oh. to be like, what the fuck was <laughs> the progress kind of shit? Anyway, let's go to Google Earth because I want to go and see this building. We're going to two seven four zero Clark Street. It's a high rise building in Chicago, Illinois. Six zero six five two. Oh my God, is that the, really the zip code? No. I don't know. Oh, shit. There's probably multiple zip codes in Chicago. Oh, damn it. But I bet it is one. I mean, 606 is... Y'all don't know that? Scruff, McGruff, Chicago, Illinois, 60652. Well, there you go. Yes, it is. For your free copy of my new comic activity book, just write Scruff McGruff, Chicago, Illinois, 60652. It helped take a bite out of crime. I want it, I want it. Uh, y'all, y'all are too um, young to remember Scruff the Gruff. I guess so. Uh, so <laughs> Is he the crime dog? Yeah. With the trench coat. Yeah, Scruff McGruff, Chicago, Illinois, 60652. <laughs> <laughs> it used to come on after cartoons. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so here's where we're at right now, 2740 Clark Street. 
we're going to one, two, three, four, five, 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 15th floor, which I believe is uh, one of these, either one of those are up within this range. <laughs> February 21st, 1977. This is a few months before from where we started with the possession of Miss Remy Chua. Now we're going to February 21st, 1977, 2740 Clark Street, high rise, apartment number 15B. At 8.30 p.m., tenants call the police because they reported on their hall smoke barreling out into the hall of one of the local residents. This local resident is this woman right here. Her name is Teresita Bassa. That's her right here. Can you describe oh, her? Oh, yeah. I, uh, she looks like maybe she's in her like early 40s in this photo i can't i don't know um dark short hair um like definitely styled of the time mm-hmm. um, a little fro yeah yeah um i mean big smile yeah you know looks looks happy in this photograph there's nothing haunting about this image well she's alive in this photo so <laughs> if you look back here you can see a little oh, i'm just kidding all right so that's the ghost okay all right before she was a ghost so that is her apartment the cops are called fire department shows up chicago fire chicago P. They show up with their, you know, their abs and their hot bodies. TV cameras. So Chicago Fire shows up and a lieutenant is first on the scene. These apartment fires are what firemen hate the most because especially especially if they're on one of the top floors, because it's hard to get water access up there. So what do you think they do when they they I mean, like if if apartments on fire on the top floor, like what do they do? They don't just put a ladder up there. I mean, they do eventually, but they go in, right? Mm -hmm. They go in with these hand pumps. Oh, okay. Yeah, these pumps. I, I used to have a pump. It wasn't for fire disposal. No, I assumed not. It was more for penile, <laughs> penile <laughs> purposes. <laughs> penile purposes. Uh. <laughs> I mean, you got to test the product that you're have selling. Have we had so. one episode out of the 397 that we've done without a penis joke in it? No, no, impossible. <laughs> have we had one where you don't end up on the floor drunk? <laughs> yes. The lieutenant runs upstairs. He goes to the apartment. The smoke is barreling out, just like he was told. It's coming from the the bottom separation from the door and the floor. He puts his hand on the door, not the knob, because that would be, you know, that would hurt. Yep. But he feels that the door is warm, not hot, which is a good sign to him. To him, that means that the fire is most likely isolated in a single room Mm -hmm. and not just all over the apartment, right? right? Right. So he was quick, but he knew he didn't. Didn't have to bust down the door. The housekeeper was there, flipped through the keys rather quickly, but unlocked the door. Then him and his sergeant go in to try to put out the fire. The fire was isolated. It was in the bedroom. The mattress was on fire. Oh, so the bed weird. mattress. Okay. Well, I feel like those were more flammable back then than they are now. I mean, they're probably still very flammable. Have you ever seen one of those demonstrations? <sighs> Did they do that when you were in college? When it's like how quickly a fire could consume your dorm room? So don't do flammable stuff. Oh my god, I love. Ew love setting things on fire okay. like it just all right mcdonald try it <laughs> <laughs> legit i was just about to ask you if you've also had problems wetting your bed no not yes. anymore i mean i mean it's- he blames it on luna <laughs> <laughs> all right so the mattress is actually pushed off the bed it is on fire it's it's not like blazing 
so they can kind of pull it off, right? So him and the sergeant, they try to tug on this mattress to see what's under it, because obviously the fire started from under it, right? And they're trying to pull, but they can't. It was like something on the bottom of the mattress, like a, a wax. You know how you melt a candle and it mm-hmm. sticks? Mm-hmm. And you could pull it, yeah, but it got it has that extra resistance, you know? It's hard to pull. Yep. So it's like that. Something was kind of holding it back, something gummy on the floor. Now, eventually oh. they... <laughs> I don't... Oh, no. I don't like that. <laughs> gummy. Eventually, they do pull it back, and they saw why it was so hard to to uh, drag in the first place. Do you want to take a guess why? There was a body. So they pull this mattress back. They finally get it to move, and under it was a a man or a woman. We know now it was Teresita Basa, but to them, they could not tell the gender. You know, mm. not because it's 2022, because this body to them was a quote mass of burned human flesh. Oof. In quote so brutal uh lauren said that her ex's dad had an electric blanket and it lit his bed on fire i might go get fire retardant mattress protector or something they make they make spray yeah so if you see the oh yeah all the sound paneling we had to spray that with spray it was then that the sickening stench rose above the acrid smell of the smoke to sting their nostrils the unmistakable stench of burning flesh they're lying at their feet wedged between the bottom of the bed in the wall was the naked charred remains of the human being. With a more careful look, they both noticed the handle of a knife jutting from the chest. This mass of burned human flesh, the knife was protruding out and later they would see with an autopsy and this is going to be important to just kind of like put this in the back of your mind. The knife seemed to be perfectly inserted into the body as to completely miss the rib bones. Hmm. So a normal person who would stab someone would most likely hit the rib bones but you have to know where those rib bones are let's say if you're a doctor or something and can like uh, okay see where they are and then insert them also that means that she was most likely dead when the knife was inserted so she was choked but they wouldn't know that you know until till later the knife was driven with such force that its handle was embedded in the flesh depressing the chest wall and forcing air out of the woman's lungs which caused a loud gasp to escape from her lips. The gasps started startling the perspiring killer. Springing up from the floor and backing away quickly from the body, he avoided getting the pulsating blood on his hands and clothes. Alright, it's traditional for Filipinos to have not an open casket, but a casket that's closed that has like a little peep window. I don't know what they're called. I've seen them before. You know what I'm talking about. It's like a little viewing window. Okay. That's the traditional thing. I did not know that. And with this case, she could not have that because of the body condition. It was burned yeah. too bad. So let's talk about her right now, about the victim. Once again, show you a photo of her real quick. I love to learn things about different cultures like that. Mm-hmm. What well, did you know that that I don't, don't make something up? No. <laughs> Like I went to a Hindu funeral previously and it's tradition. You don't wear black. You wear white because it's a celebration of life. Hmm. So she is a 48 year old woman from the Philippines. She's actually from Dumagale. She worked with Remy, but they weren't close. They knew each other in passing. More like you would know someone at your work, but you wouldn't actually hang out with them. You would see them and gossip a little bit. A work friend. Water cooler talk. Water cooler talk. But they both 
both worked in the respiratory department. They didn't okay. have the same shifts, but, you know, she would see the containers with her name on it and stuff like that, you know. They both worked at the Edgewater Hospital. Her family was wealthy. She did not need to work at all. Her family had, quote, considerable holdings, end quote, in sugar and coconut plantations, which, okay, a wealthy woman. She was popular. She was friendly. She was helpful. She would give you anything. She was just there. She's a great friend. She had no enemies at all. Okay. No enemies. So she actually wasn't going to become a respiratory technician. She didn't even care about it when she was growing up. She she didn't care about the medical field. Her father was a, a, a judge, a uh, respected judge. She studied music at the Royal Conservatory of Music in London. She was a, a very talented pianist and musician, trained classically, extremely good. She would always play. You could hear her down the hall. She had a piano and stuff like that. Beautiful cool. music. Yeah. Very talented. However, she left those music studies when her father died suddenly of a respiratory illness. She's like, you know what? This came so quickly. She was so distraught by it that she changed her whole path in life to the medical field. Oh, wow. Just to study the respiratory illnesses so she can help others breathe better. Okay. Oh, that's really cool. So she became an inhalation therapist. So this is uh, kind of a uh, back and forth talk. Mm. This uh, what you're going to read now. Well, you know that her father, Judge Bassa, died a few years ago. He died from some sort of respiratory disease. Teresita was very upset about it and decided she would try to help other people with breathing problems. So she went to school and became an inhalation therapist. Hmm. She was working in large in a large Chicago hospital at the time she was killed. So that's a little bit about her. So we have some motives here. She's wealthy and people kind of knew she had money. But she was friendly. She wasn't she didn't have any other like enemies which, and she wasn't married. Right. She wasn't so, married. No. Like someone who would benefit from her death. Who would that be? Well, I'll get back to the the crime scene, but there were jewelry stolen, okay, money stolen, stuff like that. Okay, so that's a little bit about her. Let's go back to Remy throughout this time. So she's so Boss is murdered on the twenty first of February. Throughout the weeks up till the the possession that we talked about at first, she starts hearing and seeing these visions. It takes her a while to realize that this is a dead woman speaking through her, but she could see her her face when she. She's drifting to sleep and it would just come on at random times, even when she's working. When Remy would drift into sleep, a troubling sensation buried deeply would begin to bother her. The disturbance laid tightly coiled in her subconscious. When the turbulence began, it would spin and swirl each time getting closer. It would then recoil and disperse. As it would whirl up and sweep closer, an achromatic image began to project from its orifice. And to Remy, an amorphous face was emerging. Finally, the gray funneling cloud furled again and again until from its nucleus loomed a head. It was Teresita's face. Hmm. This is very scary for her and the family. Remember, she is having these onset possessions, basically takeovers of her body, you know, all of a sudden, even as she's she's working. But she was she would push it off to stress. Not even that. So as I said before, you got to keep an open mind. Like, right. you know, when this would happen, she would get this tingy feeling like in her nose, like ugh. it smelled like like smoke, like burning, hmm. fleshy smoke every time she would have these visions. As Remy got to work that evening, she said hello to Emil and stopped momentarily to talk. You know, Emil, you're going to have to learn how to play Mahjong one of these days. I know a lot of people who can teach you. Mrs. Ch 
toi, Emile said, giving her a shocked look. Terry always said the same thing. So she started talking like her. Employees would notice this. It wasn't just the family. She began talking like her, seeing her, smelling the smoke. Well, I mean, it's almost like it's almost like without without the, you know, if you don't have the paranormal aspect to it, almost as if she knew something, but maybe or maybe she didn't. But it's almost like did she have an onset of disassociated identity disorder? Interesting theory. I mean, that's one of the only like logical ways you could explain that. Yeah, you got to keep an open mind with this. But this is, you know, this is. As you'll see, this is a was a national headline case. And for some of the stuff I'm about to tell you, it's kind of impossible not to have a ghost involved. You know what I'm saying? Just just listen. You don't well, have to convince don't you don't have to convince me. I mean, if you tell me that this is a ghost story, I will one hundred percent back you. Going back to the room where she was possessed and speaking as Teresita, the father. Now remember Remy and Joe, her husband, and you know, their parents, they're Filipino too. So they have different traditions and religions and and they have different cultures when it comes to the paranormal stuff like that than we do you know so they i I would say that they're more open to the experience if you will anyway the father vincent was so frozen in place during one of these possessions all of a sudden he shouted out a word which i probably am gonna mispronounce naluganan it's n-a-l-u-g-a-n-a-n this is a filipino term it is a term of possession but specifically Specifically, it means when somebody who is living is possessed by the spirit of a dead person seeking closure. Does that make sense? That's so very specific. The fact that they have a term for this is what will tell you a lot about yeah. their belief system, right? Yeah. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Well, I think in general, as far as paranormal goes, like you have to be at least open to paranormal possibilities for you to be affected by it. Like someone who is a non-believer is less likely to encounter or believe that they encounter it than someone who believes. Do you know what I mean? Or I think the counter to that could be I think people who believe may misinterpret signals such as moving cords over their feet. That could happen. But I'm just saying. But you you know what I mean? Yeah, no, no. Like I I would explain something like that as oh, I must have moved my foot. Right. In a cord. I moved it over. Right, but I didn't move my foot. I'm just saying. Yes. That's the the converse. I understand. Yes, exactly. That's what I was saying. Yes. Now, all we've talked about is when Teresita said, someone killed me, help me solve my murder. She never said who. So this is when she actually comes into another possession of Remy, another frightening possession in the house. No God, none. And she's actually talking, having a full conversation with Joe as Teresita, saying, do this, do that. And I admitted a lot of the conversations, but there was a lot of pressure. Joe was like, I, you know, if I go to the police, they're not going to believe me. What is they're going to believe, you know, why would they believe me? Dr. Chua said the voice as Joe entered the room. Joe was momentarily taken back, both by the sight of his wife covered with the black sheet and the commanding resonance of the voice. Dr. Chua repeated the voice. Did you talk to the police? No, I did not, said Joe as he bravely sat at the foot of the bed. You did not. Why not? I told you that you had to call the police. The voice was sharp and angry. I told you before that I just couldn't go 
to the police without proof. Proof? What kind of proof do you need? I already told you that I was killed. Yes, but you did not tell me how and by whom. Joe was beginning to get a hold of himself. He was thinking clearly now. I told you that Al killed me. The voice spoke with such intensity that the force could be felt throughout the room. Alan, he killed me. He killed me. I.E. Animal. We know Alan is the one now. So this guy, Alan Showery, which I'm going to show you a photo of him in a second. He is the main suspect now. Now, this, this has been months that have gone by with no leads, no evidence, no DNA, nothing, no proof, nothing. This guy wasn't even a suspect. And going back to the crime scene, from the Detroit Free Press, Miss Bossa was lying on her back, her sightless eyes staring at the ceiling. She was naked and in the exact center of her chest embedded to the wooden handle was a butcher's knife. At the crime scene, they noticed that she was naked. Her legs were forcefully spread apart, okay? Okay. So what would you think that would be? Sexual assault. A rape murder. The legs forced open, she was naked. No forced entry, which means she she knew knew the the person. She knew she knew the victim. Money stolen and jewelry stolen. So this is who they think it is right here. Um African American looks maybe in his maybe late thirties, early forties. I don't know. I would say in his thirties, mustache or goatee. Scar over his eyebrow. I was looking is that or is that the newspaper? I think that's a newspaper because it looks like a tiger just Oh, it could be the it could newspaper. be the newspaper. Yeah. Or the way that the photo just printed. Yeah. So that's who they think it is. But let me, let's go and see if it's actually him. There's a few ways we can tell if it's actually him or not. So he lived four blocks away from Teresita. He lived on 445 Surf Street, only four blocks away. Now, this voice from the grave happened several times, and Basa actually told information that nobody else knew about what happened. Information that no one else knew. So what happens is police, when there's a homicide investigation, they'll leave information out little things like uh like for instance the jewelry like what what was it like was it a ring was it a necklace so if someone comes forward or let's say they they arrest someone and then the guy just blurts out no i didn't ever stole her neck necklace well how did you know it was a necklace we yeah. never put that in public type right of thing. right a gush of warm air radiated around remy he knew it was teresita dr chua the voice sounded amplified but calm have you done what i asked of you Joe clenched his fists. No, no, no. Don't you understand that if I went to the police with the story you have given me, they would think that I am crazy. They won't believe me, Teresita. Dr. Chua, the man Alan Showery stole my jewelry and has... So he stole some jewelry. What good does that do me? Don't you understand? He gave the jewelry to his girlfriend. They lived together. The voice had become more stern. Yes, so they lived together, but don't you see? How can I identify how can I identify the jewelry? Estupido, shouted Teresita. There are people who can identify my jewelry. My cousins, Ron Somera and Ken Bassa, and my two friends, Richard Pesati and Ray King. Call them. They will know. Ron's number is 786-4215. Joe excitedly shouted to his daughter who had been standing at the door, hurry, get something to write that down. I bought some of the jewelry in 
France. And that ring, it was a gift from my father to my mother. The voice began to break. They meant so much to me and Al took them. Mama, aye, mama. Remy began agitating again. Tell them that Al came to fix my television and he killed me and burned me. Tell the police. Tell them. Aye, aye, que dolor. Mama, mama, ayudame. So that's a lot of information. Number one, he came to fix my television set. He stole my jewelry. Some of it I bought in France, which can be identified by my cousins. A ring my father gave given me that I've worn. Very personal ring. He give, gave it to his girlfriend. So that can't be true, right? Then she gives the number to one of her cousins, the exact number, which does turn out to be the real number. But, you know, that could be a coincidence, right? So let's see if this guy did it. Luckily, the detective had an open mind and it also didn't hurt that a respected doctor was bringing forth this information. The one thing that convinced this detective, which also went out on the line and he would talk about in the book how he was made fun of as soon as he wrote the report, people would sneak up behind him and go, boo, type of thing. Yeah, you, but, would, you would do that to him if you knew him. Yeah. And he was talking about how, you know, the, the weeks of that happening and then finally, finally there was a break in the case, but he went, you know, he put his reputation on the line for this. But there was one thing that really convinced this detective is nowhere in that conversation did she mention she was raped. Mm. She never said she was raped. Uh The detective had asked, you know, did she talk about the rape? Because everyone is a murder rape. Everyone thought it was a murder rape. She never mentioned it. Mm. Never once mentioned it. So does that mean she wasn't? And it was just the positioning (laughs) of her body? No, it it means something else. At 48 years old, tell Teresita Bassa was still a virgin. She still had an intact hymen. She was not raped. Oh, it the- means that she wasn't raped. <laughs> Thank you, Jed. <laughs> The, the fact that that information was so widely thought of that it was a murder rape and that he claimed that in nowhere did she even mention it because that that would be something she would mention. It's not choked and burn me. It's choke, rape me and burn me. Yeah. Nowhere does she mention that. And that was one of the things that they held secret. The fact that she was a 48 year old virgin. Good for her. So and, ne- and was never raped. So so the crime scene. So her legs being spread apart was just. Um, to, to make to it make look, it like look it, yeah. that way and mm-hmm. they couldn't really find the evidence of that or they just didn't publicize that. Correct. No, they knew that she was not raped. Okay. But it was widely thought that she was a murder was rape assumed. because right. her legs were spread apart and it spread apart and looked like that and she was naked. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. That and the jury. So the detective, they decided to actually talk to Alan and the break in the case when, when the detective was getting made fun of and all this stuff was when his uh, partner came up and said, we just got the background check from this Alan Showery. Two rape reports, both victims in their apartment, both known and invited him in. Hmm. So I know this wasn't a rape, but let's get to the the uh, the interview with Alan Showery. He said he never been in the apartment. All right. He how, said, do he, we know how they knew each other? That's a good question. He's also a respiratory uh, technician. Oh, OK. okay. Yeah, he, he worked at Edgewater. OK, that's a really good question. And he also fixed TVs. No, he wasn't. Just handy. Yeah. So she had asked him to come fix her TV. He said he never even been in the apartment. He denied even going to fix her TV. They said, all right, Alan, we believe you, but do you mind if we 
take some of your fingerprints, you know, just to match them with the ones we found in the apartment so we can, you know, go ahead and eliminate you as a suspect. Oh, well, you know what? I, I think I have been in there once, right? Okay. Well, just go ahead and give me those anyway, because, you know, it's been months since you've been in there. So she she's cleaned up and yours wouldn't be present anyway. Uh, okay. Well, hold on a second. I, I was at the apartment and and I, uh, I I did go to fix her TV. This is what he's saying. And his whole confession's in here. But I, quote, didn't have the right tool, end quote. So he left. He says, quote, I was there and just for just a couple minutes. I left and I never came back. So they went to his girlfriend, Yanka was her name, and they looked down at her ring finger, notice a, oh. a very extravagant ring. Well, Yanka says that he has given that to her for her belated Christmas present, which is really fucked up in my, my opinion. And her and Teresita's family, when they brought Yanka into the station, was there because he knew the number. She give, gave him the number to her family. She So Dr. Chow calls the cousins to come in. She's there. They see the ring on her finger that her husband has given her, right, for Christmas. The detectives sat Pasadi and King by statue desk and allowed them to examine the ring and the other jewelry. Both of them positively identified the ring and the other piece, a jade pendant, as belonging to Teresita. I got that from Alan, too. It was part of the belated Christmas gift that he gave me. This belonged to the dead woman, said Eplin empathetically. A look of horror registered on the woman's face. Dead woman, she exclaimed and began breaking into a sob. She regained her composure in a few moments and said softly, look, I'm telling you how I got it. I don't really know how Alan got it. So Alan said, quote, to this day, I'm not quite sure whether I believe how the information was obtained. Nonetheless, everything here is completely true. End quote. He did it. The mm. first trial, January 21st, 1979, was deadlocked. They just did not believe this ghost story. Wow. But, I mean, the ring was there. The, I mean, everything lined up. You just can't, like, expect a jury of 12 to, like, all of them buy this thing, right? I mean, they didn't need the testimony from the ghost to necessarily confirm the crime was him. Like, if I was an attorney, I probably wouldn't even use yeah. that evidence because I would know that nobody on the jury would believe it. You but they you have to you have to see how how well how did you obtain that well you still have the fingerprints you still have the jewelry yeah but they're gonna wonder how they knew that he had the ring i don't think you need to to say how you found it just like any other evidence you know what i mean if i that's just my the uh that trial was deadlocked mistrial the second one happened february 23rd 1979 and despite his attorneys telling him to you know to plead a certain way he pleaded guilty confessed to everything and he received for those for the murder 14 years for the murder plus 16 years for two counts of armed robbery and arson so four so two counts of each four years per charge so in total he received 30 years for this wow pretty crazy would not have been caught if this yeah on friday february 23rd 1979 two years after the murder in the courtroom of judge barbaro alan showery pleaded guilty showery had entered the plea of guilty against advice of his lawyers who wanted him to stand a second trial a sentence was imposed of 14 years for murder and four years each for two counts of armed robbery and arson the chuas had been vindicated to 
Teresita Bassa could rest in peace. So that's the Damn. case. I don't well, know. What do you guys think, man? I mean, all right. The the fact that it's a respected doctor bringing this, the fact that he knew that she wasn't raped. No one knew she was a virgin at all. She was a very private person. The fact that they knew the person who did it, that they knew that she he went to fix her TV that night. Like, I mean, all this stuff that was said. I mean, it's hard to, I don't know. So anyway, this case is known as the voice from the grave. It is a pretty popular case, especially in the 70s. I mean, it's definitely it's definitely one that would make me think twice about the paranormal thing for sure. I mean, that is yeah. very I can't explain that. I can't. Yeah. So kind of crazy. I read a lot of this magazine called Weird Tales. It's a magazine from like the 20s. I was reading this one story where this these two guys were in, in the war. I guess it was uh, World War One mm-hmm. and they were fighting and one of them they were friends. One of them dies, you know, gets hit by a shell. The other one survives. But the one that died and this is a fictional story. The one that died, his spirit was roaming around and he found that he could connect himself to his friend. And the reason he wanted to do that is because he was in love with his friend's wife. Oh. So he basically connected himself to his, like basically like a split personality. And he was talking about how he could, he couldn't just take over his friend's body, but he could, he could make suggestions, you know, and get him. And he would notice when, when his friend was, really sleepy and really overworked that he could have the most sway. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I mean, and he did. Interesting he, concept. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's crazy, but it kind of reminded me of that, you yeah. know? Yeah. yeah. But anyway, I don't know wow. what you think of that. It is a true story from what I presented. Everything I presented is true. I know you got to have an open mind, but hey, man, that's the story. That is that is how it turned out. The guy confessed. He There's this whole confession. He says, I have no idea how you guys knew this. He was probably one of those, because I would be too, if I did that and and you said, oh, the ghost of the person you killed is telling us this. I would be like, OK, I'll comply. What, yeah. Yeah. Lock me up, you know, because <laughs> I don't want that ghost haunting me. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's true. So anyway. Interesting. That was a really interesting story. It was. Definitely uh, unique. Cool. Anyway, we'll be back in 20 minutes for you guys. And if you're new here, thanks a lot for joining us. You go to talkmore.com, follow our podcast on the podcasting app. Check out our sister podcast, Among the Dirt and Trees. Brianne, she's doing a wonderful job. She does true crime cases that occur out in nature. Very good podcast. But anyway, that's all I got. So until next time, good night, you lovely, lovely people.